You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, a playoff edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Monday, we've got no game tonight, but the Pelicans are up one nothing in their first round series with the Portland Trailblazers after a 97-95 win, really 97-92 win, but who's counting, win over the Portland Trailblazers on the road, stealing game one of the series and taking back home court advantage from the Trailblazers. We're going to recap that game for you here today. We're going to break down the game after that, talk about what the Pelicans really did well, and then where they need to improve and maybe some adjustments they need to make going into game two. We'll catch you up on everything else going on around the league and the playoffs as a whole. It's been a pretty interesting playoff so far. Things kind of go on how we expect it to go, but a few kinks in the road here. So we'll talk about those as well in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. Obviously, the score was closer than the Pelicans would like, but you have to be happy with just getting a win, and I think New Orleans has got just that. Neither of these teams played particularly well. I think if you look at this from top to bottom, the Pelicans shot 47.7% from the field. Portland shot 37.8%, and if you're Portland and you see that number, you have to feel really good going into game two that if you do a little bit better, maybe you can win. But New Orleans didn't play particularly well either, giving up uh, 21 second chance points on on 15 offensive rebounds. We've talked about how rebounding is going to be very key to this series, and you saw it on full uh, effect there. This let... Portland kind of dictate the tempo and pace of play for a little bit. The pace was actually under 100 in this game. Not something that the Pelicans want. But for through the first half, the Pelicans did a good job holding Portland to just 36 points from uh, total in the first half while they put up 45. You got a nine-point lead going into halftime, something they just kind of expanded upon after the break. In the first half, Lillard and McCollum were a combined one of 15. One of 15 for three total points. Portland star players were not getting it done. Davis and Holiday combined for 32 in the first half. That's going to definitely help you as these guys try and win this playoff series. So that's one of the biggest things that you saw from it. The Pelicans tried to play with energy and pace as much as they could, but then things got a little bit dicey in the third quarter. Having a 19-point lead, though, Portland went on a 14-0 run and actually managed to bring the game within one possession, just three points. Ian Clark subbed in, hit a very big three on the next possession and kind of shifted momentum back away from Portland towards New Orleans. And from there, it was basically just a battle in the fourth where Portland outscored New Orleans 32 to 22. The offense went very cold. You saw this team get very tired and very exhausted. And we'll go over some of the stats in a moment here. But Anthony Davis played 40 minutes. Miritich basically played 40 minutes. And both those guys were visibly gassed by the end of the game. And we'll talk about the rotation in the second segment where we maybe need to see them expand upon it or maybe increase some minutes for others because I don't think it's going to be sustainable as it was in this game. Though, there's two days off between this one and game two. So there was that 14-0 run where New Orleans failed to score during that period of time. Then towards the end of the game, they missed on three straight possessions, but luckily Drew Holiday was there to not bail out the Pelicans, but just provide defense and end the game against 
Portland. He was outstanding. We know this. We saw it. And if you watch SportsCenter immediately after the game or Saturday morning, uh, Sunday morning, the Pelicans-Portland game led off SportsCenter. And the first player from the series mentioned was not Anthony Davis in his big night, but was actually Drew Holiday and the defense that he provided to this team. Again, holding Lillard and McCollum to 1 of 15 in the first half was a lot to do with him and him running them off that three-point line, trying to funnel them down into the defense where the Pelicans played particularly well defending the rim. But he had that big strip of C.J. McCollum after an Ian Clark turnover and then had a game-saving block, game-sealing block, whatever you want to call it, on a dunk attempt by Pat Connaughton after Connaughton kind of beat uh, Drew Holiday off on the perimeter. Holiday came from behind, got that block, and did the game basically right then and there. And Portland wasn't going to be able to do it in crunch time um, with, with their game plan. So big win for the Pels. Looking at the numbers here, Anthony Davis, 35 points, 14 boards. He was 14 of 26 from the field. Overall was huge on the night. Four blocks as well. You couldn't have asked for much more than that from him. Nikola Mirotic, big as well, 16 points, 11 rebounds. He had four blocks. He was great defensively. He was active on the boards. That was very important. The Pelicans needed it. Then you had Drew Holiday, 10 of 20 from the field, 1 of 5 from deep. Not getting his, his points there, but was getting to the rim. 21 points, 7 rebounds. He had 2 assists and 2 blocks, and that block at the end was huge, but really his defense was absolutely tremendous. Couldn't have asked for much more from him. Ian Clark off the bench, 10 points, was 4 of 5 shooting overall, 2 of 2 from deep, and those two threes really uh, ended some Blazers runs that they were on and shifted momentum away from Portland and back towards New Orleans. He came in at the right time. He allowed Drew Holiday to also be a force defensively. You saw him out there kind of harassing guys, and he's again, as we talked about, has experience guarding Lillard and McCollum in the playoffs. He has a minus 12, the worst plus minus of all the Pelicans players out there. But if you're just looking at that and you think that tells the story, you're definitely wrong here because he was very impactful. Again, those two threes were big. He has experience doing this. Portland's going to get hot at times, and they are, and you saw the rest of the bench not play particularly well, which Ian Clark was leading, which also leads to that bad plus minus. But Portland's going to get hot. He just happened to be out on the court when that happened. I don't think this is really a big thing, and I thought he was very impactful in this game. Portland, for them, Damian Lillard finished with 18 points. A lot of that getting done in the fourth quarter was 6 of 23 on the night, 26.1%. McCollum was 7 of 18, 38.9% for 19 points. So those guys end up getting in there. They end up combining for over 30 points. That's important for Portland. But ultimately, they need more than 20 from each of those guys in these games to potentially win the series. Nurkic was 3 of 7 for 11 points. You had Evan Turner, who we kind of want shooting a lot, took six, or sorry, 15 field goal attempts, hit just 6 of them, 13 points total. And then it was really the bench of Portland doing some damage against New Orleans. You had Zach Collins with 8. Ed Davis was six, Pat Connaughton was seven, Shabazz Napier was six. They did a very good job overall. But then don't forget you have playoff Rondo here, and I didn't mention him earlier. Just three of nine from the field. Uh, Portland really kind of just dared him to shoot and wanted him to try and shoot. And he finished with just six points, but 17 assists, and more importantly, eight defensive rebounds. You saw him go after a lot of those 50-50 balls to try and prevent Portland from getting an offensive rebound, from dictating the pace some more, from getting second chance points. On the night, the Pels finished with 44 points in the paint. Not quite what they wanted, but it still worked. 15 turnovers, that's not going to get it done, leading to 23 points 
for Portland. Portland scored 29 points in the fast break basically the, because of those turnovers and situations. And then New Orleans just had 17. So not the pace that the Pels wanted to play with whatsoever, yet they still managed to go out and get the win. I think Alvin Gentry and the team's got to be very happy with that. So don't forget, there's a lot going on around the association. We'll recap some of it here very quickly. But you want to make sure you know what's going on in all of these playoff games, all of these big wins. So make sure you listen to Locked On NBA Monday through Friday, five days a week, recapping everything going on in the association. I co-host the Wednesday edition, and I'm actually on today's Monday edition talking about the Pelicans' victory. So make sure you listen and subscribe to Locked On NBA. So what went right for the Pelicans? What went wrong? And obviously defense is something that went right. I think we can just safely say that given what we saw from Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis out there and holding down CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard and not letting those guys go off. But again, they had very off shooting nights that wasn't just solely based on Drew Holiday on the perimeter, on Etuan Moore on the perimeter, and Rondo doing enough on the perimeter, though he was not great defensively in this game, at least in one-on-one matchups. The Pelicans actually put him on Evan Turner at one point and more or less just dared Turner to shoot, which which was actually a very good plan, and I think you'll see that going forward. Rondo gets hidden there because you try and force Turner then to post him up, which lets Anthony Davis just do Anthony Davis things below the basket. And looking at the numbers here, Anthony Davis and his rim protection were huge for the Pelicans. I have not thought rebounding has been an issue all year for the Pels, partially because you have Anthony Davis down low to kind of erase mistakes when teams do get an offensive board. Davis, uh, when it came to defending field goal attempts, let me pull the numbers here. I just lost them and I don't know where they went. There we go. Davis at the rim defended 11 shots. The, uh, Trailblazers only hit five against him. That's 45.5%. That's good. He only really allowed 55.5%, I think, during the regular season at the rim. That's an incredible number by itself. So getting below 50% on how the high-quality looks at the rim are absolutely tremendous. Holiday says it was one of three down there for 33%. So this team did a good job taking away the interior from the Portland Trailblazers and trying to force them to shoot outside jumpers and not really letting them get anything going. And you see this reflected a little bit in the final stat line where Portland just took 12 field goal attempts, something where you have McCollum and Lillard usually average 10 combined. They combined for three in this game. Really, the teams combined for 22 total free throw attempts. The officials were swallowing their whistles and letting these guys play, which was actually a lot of fun, and I think we really enjoyed that. So the other thing that I, you know, you, you saw in his maybe a concern was timeout usage, substitutions, and maybe overall this rotation. Pels played, uh, was it nine guys in this game? You had Darius Miller off the bench, Ian Clark, Diallo, and Hill. Hill played five and a half minutes, Diallo 10. Ian Clark played close to 25. That'll continue. And Darius Miller 14. None of them other than Clark was very impactful. But here's the thing. There's no one else you really want to throw in there. You're not going to play DeAndre Liggins, Jordan Crawford, and you're likely not going to play Emeka Okafor, you know, throughout this. And I don't think you'll see him much more in this series at all. I think they'd rather have the springier Diallo out there who just provides a little bit more energy. Though, wouldn't surprise me if you see Okafor for five minutes here or there just to provide some defensive rebounding a little bit. So you've got those guys getting minutes, but Davis and Miritich with this heavy switching defensive scheme that they really employed you saw them switching onto everybody rather than trying to recover to their own man and you force them into playing on perimeter players utilizing more energy because of that they were visibly gassed at the end of the game 
Mirchich with 40 minutes, Davis with 40 minutes, Holiday with 39 minutes, Rondo with 39 minutes. I don't know if that's going to be sustainable over you know a six or seven game series if it gets to something like that. So maybe you need to see Darius Miller get an increase in minutes. Maybe Solomon Hill, who really did not look good, needs to have significantly more minutes than the five to kind of spell some of these guys a little bit. Maybe Diallo's in line for a bump, or maybe you just get Okafor out there for three or four minutes just to spell one of these guys to give him a bit of a rest. That's going to be very important in this one. That offensive rebounding is really what kept the pace low for the Pels, allowing those go to Portland. But again, you have good rim protection. It's okay because you're not letting them score as many as they really should be off of 15 offensive rebounds. I mean, 21 second chance points on 15 offensive rebounds is actually fairly good when it when it's all things considered there. Portland had 17 and 27 the last time these two teams met. So you are limiting those offensive rebounding opportunities to score when they do grab those boards with the stellar rim protection that the Pelicans have between Davis and Miritich, who really stepped up in this game. Now, the rotations and things, people were getting very upset. It was around four minutes in the fourth quarter when Portland was on that run. How come Alvin Gentry wasn't taking a timeout during the 14-0 run there? I'm going to tell you why, and this is something he's talked about and something they've done uh throughout like the second half of the season since the all-star break is he knows he only had two timeouts at that point you need those later in the game to try and rest Anthony Davis and give him a breather just on the bench by calling it one thing you've seen Alvin Gentry do late in the season is called back-to-back timeouts call one you come right out of the timeout before you inbound the ball just call another and let Anthony Davis stay on the bench and it ends up giving him like a three or four minute rest because of that and I think that's what Alvin Gentry was trying to do to save those timeouts to rest his guys for the final minute or two in the game when there wasn't going to be as many breaks and they weren't going to have as many opportunities to do so. He managed to kind of make sure this didn't bite them by getting Ian Clark in the game who then hit that big three-pointer. So as I said in the intro, I don't think either of these these two teams played particularly well, and I think you'll see this really kind of increase in intensity as the series goes on. New Orleans can't really keep having that 15 turnovers. You've got to get that number down closer to 10 and allow 23 points off of it. Portland is not a defense that forces turnover. A lot of these are just kind of mental mistakes that really were bad, bad passes, just kind of getting stripped by the ball by lackadaisically holding it. And if you can do that, I think you're going to have a real good chance of winning game two. Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis and is absolutely phenomenal. And that was fun to see him in the playoffs. This is a dude who, in his playoff career, now that he's gotten his first playoff victory, averages over 30 points per game. Anthony Davis can take you very, very far here. And when he gets some help like he did from Drew Holiday, Miritich, even playoff Rondo, who's a thing, and it's fun, is going to potentially get you a series victory in the first round. Really not much to complain about here other than maybe some of the rotations. Trying to avoid McCollum and Lillard getting hot at the same time, they become even much more difficult to defend when they've got both those guys hitting their shots, making plays out there versus just one of them where you kind of know who to key in and kind of dare the other one to be when they're not going on take one away and you can definitely win game two it's going to be a lot of fun Tuesday night late night game in Portland of course we will preview that game for you tomorrow here on Locked on Pelicans don't forget we got a sister podcast during this series it's called Locked on Blazers you heard Eric Gunderson on with me last week as we kind of broke down this series what we were concerned about what we wanted to see happen and how each team wins this one so make sure you give a listen to Locked on Blazers during this get the opponent perspective kind of know a little bit more be a little bit more well-rounded when it comes to the playoffs. So again, listen to Locked on Blazers. So before we wrap up today, let's kind of bounce around what's going on in the association during the playoffs. So the Saturday games, you had Golden State taking on San Antonio where 
This one's a weird one. One Golden State just killed him. It was 113-92. Basically, Golden State ran out, got an early lead, and never really looked back. And the Spurs only won the fourth quarter by two. Clay Thompson with 27 points. Big night from him. When Rudy Gay is going to be your leading scorer for the Spurs, you're in trouble. They just don't have players that can kind of keep up with Golden State. This is probably going to be a 4-0 sweep. The weird thing, though, is Kawhi Leonard not with the team. Look, I don't have a big deal with him not playing this year. If his body doesn't feel right, his body doesn't feel right, even if he's medically cleared to play. We saw this a little bit with Solomon Hill, I think, where he just wasn't ready to get out on the court and it didn't feel good to him, even though he was ready to go and medically cleared to play. Sometimes it's a mental thing. We saw this with Derrick Rose in Chicago coming back from that knee injury. He just said it didn't feel right when he jumped and landed on it can't really tell someone what they're going through with their body as we don't know. So I understand him not playing if it just doesn't feel good and he doesn't want to risk serious injury because he is Supermax eligible. So with all of that and everything, or he has the Supermax, I can't remember what it is. He's not there in Golden State with the team in in Oakland, San, San Francisco, whatever the hell you want to call it. It's Oakland. Um, that's weird to me. The fact that you wouldn't be on the bench for your teammates during a playoff series is one thing. Yeah, Boogie wasn't there in Portland with the Pels. He was actually at Coachella instead. Not the best look, in my opinion, from that. But again, he shouldn't be doing a ton of traveling with everything just yet. And Kawhi should be there on the bench to support his teammates. That one's a bit of a surprise for me. And I also think Boogie's going to be there for game two. I don't know. I was never really worried about Kawhi and the Spurs. And then all of a sudden, that's the kind of the thing that makes me think something's kind of going on there. And maybe these two, uh, the team and the player, are headed for a bit of a divorce. Then you got Toronto winning against Washington 114-106. This was a little bit closer and really looked like Washington was going to steal this series um, or steal game one in the first round against the one seed Toronto Raptors. But Toronto beat him the way Toronto wants to beat him, and that's with Toronto's bench. That's a deep, deep team that will punish you when your starters aren't in. They did. They managed to get the victory, 114-106. Maybe the most surprising score for me on Saturday was a blowout win for the 76ers, 130-103 over the Miami Heat, where they got big contributions from J.J. Redick, Ilyasova, and Marco Bellinelli. Those aren't the guys you think are going to lead them to victory. Joel Embiid didn't play in this game. And going into this series, I thought Miami had a good matchup against Philly, or at least was going to be tough. If Philly could get out of this first round, I thought they have a dark horse run potentially to the NBA Finals there in the East. Um, but without Embiid, to go out and win by 27 is very big in my opinion. Whiteside's a good counter for Embiid, so maybe it has just that if they go small, he doesn't really fit in and he doesn't play well against small lineups for sure. So maybe it changes once Embiid's back in there and their makeup of that rotation switches for Philly. But winning without your best player... I think it's a big statement to the rest of the league. That's a big win for Philly. You kind of now see them really easily winning this series. But we'll see what happens when Embiid comes back. And again, if that changes the rotation, all of a sudden they're not shooting as many threes because they're trying to get the ball to him down low. That could shift things a little bit. On Sunday, you had Boston beating Milwaukee in overtime after Chris Middleton hit like a 36-foot three-point shot to tie the game and send it there. Boston ekes this out. 
113-107 in overtime. Al Horford is a really underrated player. Led Boston in points, rebounds, and assists in that one. He's also going to maybe make an all-defense team, maybe make an all-NBA team, though I think he's going to end up getting left out, maybe in both of those, which is a bit of a shame. But Anthony Davis and Gobert and Embiid have played so well, it's tough to be able to do that. Then you've got Indiana winning against Cleveland big time, 98-80. to 80. 80 points for the Cavs with LeBron James, who just had 24, and he needs to do way more than that. What I don't know what Cleveland's supposed to do here. They've been a mess all year, and now their offense isn't going? That's not going to be a good thing for them. Big victory for Indiana. Got to be happy for Nate McMillan and what he's done with this squad there. Even if they don't win this series, winning on the road in Cleveland's a pretty big accomplishment for them. Also, the father of Pelicans assistant coach, Jamel McMillan. So nice to see that family doing really well. Two playoff victories over the weekend. That's pretty good. You had OKC win... 116 to 108 over the Utah Jazz, the four seed Jazz over the five seed OKC. And that's an interesting one because, look, OKC on paper, I think, does maybe have this matchup in their favor, but the Jazz have played so incredibly well all year long. You've got to wonder if, you know, maybe they just continue that run. And OKC's offense and everything is. Terrible. They're really, really predictable. They really aren't fun to watch, anything like that. But they have the superior talent. Paul George had 36 points in this game. Russell Westbrook scored well. He had 13 rebounds, 8 assists as well. Not quite a triple-double. And they're very sound defensively. Donovan Mitchell led the way for Utah, 17 points, 10 rebounds as well. He's been phenomenal. He's got to carry that scoring load. And when Paul George is going off for 36, there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do. One-on-one, this team's probably better than Utah, so it's going to be difficult, but that Utah Jazz defense is so incredibly difficult to try and get around. So we'll see how this one goes. Then you had Houston taking on Minnesota in the final game, 104-101, a little bit closer than you would have thought for Houston. Harden with 44 points in this one. He's going to be difficult to defend. That's with Jimmy Butler defending him if you watch this game too. He just took Butler every single time. If he keeps doing that, they're going to be tough to beat. They had more points in the paint than Minnesota did. And that Minnesota bench played particularly well, really outscored the Houston Rockets bench. We'll see if that continues, but that's maybe something to keep an eye on. But Houston's winning the series. Yeah, game one is closer than we thought, but Harden's Harden, and they've got a better team, so I don't think that's going to change much of anything. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans, the playoff victory edition of Locked on Pelicans. Again, that was fun. The Pelicans are now up 1-0 in their series with the Portland Trailblazers. Game two tomorrow night in Portland. Of course, we will preview that game for you here on Locked on Pelicans tomorrow. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all tomorrow.